now going to have the first Bible reading, which comes from Acts chapter 4, verse 36, through to Acts chapter 5, verse 16. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in the Solomon's Colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought, on the, brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats that, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest of all the associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and got them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and the associates arrived, they called the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent them for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them, any, them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. <clears throat> On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were puzzled and wondered what would come of this. Then someone came out and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. 
at the captain with his officers and board the apostles, they did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having bought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to question by the high priests. We gave them strict orders not to teach in their name, he said. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God's word, God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand. <clears throat> As the prince and saviour, he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses to these things. So this, it is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and they wanted them put to death. But the Pharisees named Gamaliel, his te a teacher of the Lord, who honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with them. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all the followers were dispersed and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a blind man to revolt, of people to revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purposes or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and told them to head to flog. Then he ordered them out and speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you saved us, that you care deeply about us. Thank you, Lord, that we can have a personal relationship with you ourselves. I thank you, Lord, that wherever we are, you know us, you love us, and you're with us. I pray, Lord, for the church here at Area Park. Thank you, Lord, for them. I pray, Lord, for their, your blessing on them, for your grace and your mercy on them. And I pray, Lord, for your power for them. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've heard the Bible reading. You probably would like, it probably would be best to get keep that Bible reading handy because I'm going to be referring to it, starting in Acts chapter 4, then again to 5. One of my hobbies where we lived at Browley was to go paddleboarding or surfing. And the thing is, you've got to be in the right spot. The wave comes in and lifts up and goes crunch. And it lifts up and goes crunch because of the sandbar underneath. So you've got to be in the right spot. If you're too far out, the wave is just a ripple and it passes you by and you can't catch it. If you're too far in, it lands on you, which you don't want either. You want to be able to get onto it and paddle with it and then you're on it rather than under it or having watched it miss you. 
And the thing is, when the wind's blowing and the tide's tides moving you've got to just be aware of where you're up to and where you are on the in the landscape so if you are being dragged by the current sideways you've just got to keep an eye on it so this is a favorite spot of mine at, at the river mouth where the river runs out and runs along this this is rocks runs along a spot where the creek runs out into the beach and when the tide is running out it pushes you further out and off the bank when the tide is coming in, it pulls you in towards the creek and off the bank. So you have to keep an eye on where you're up to because you, it's very frustrating. You think, I'm not getting any waves. And then you realize I'm in the wrong spot. Or you realize they're all landing on me and you think, ah. And they're marker boys. On the rocks, they're big marker posts for the boats as the boats come in. You've got to watch the boats. And you can line up. You can line up. The, the, the Bible passage we're looking at today has a number of situations where people are pushed off course. Pushed off course. And the thing about being pushed off course is you don't always realize it. Because if you realized you're being pushed off course, you'd resist somehow. But sometimes we get pushed off course or just dragged with the current and we're not aware of it. That's where we're going today. Four points. It's a four-point sermon, which I'm sorry about that. It's That's wrong. It should be three, but it's four. Internal confusion, the witnessing church. External pressure, the witnessing church again. So it's internal confusion, the witnessing church. External pressure, the witnessing church again. Okay, here we go. Where are we? We're in Acts. Jesus has died and risen. He's appeared to his disciples, the apostles, and uh, he's appeared to them for 40 days. He's ascended into heaven. The disciples are fired up. They stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that he's going to send. About 10 days later is the day of Pentecost, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The church jumps from 120 to about 3,000 in a day. Bang. Boy, would they have had a building program to figure out. But they didn't do that. They were meeting in churches. They were meeting in, they were, sorry, meeting in the temple, and they were meeting in homes. They were getting together to encourage each other to live. And uh, that was really exciting. If you look in Chapter 4, Peter and John are harassed by the Jewish leadership because they'd healed someone and made a big noise and talked about Jesus. So they get harassed, roused on, and then kicked out. And they, of course, go back to what they wanted to do, which is talk about Jesus. They didn't worry about that. And then we get to this section. Verse 36 of chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Barnabas is a big name. He comes up in chapters 13, 14, and 15 of Acts heaps of times, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this guy sells something and puts it, gives the money to the apostles and says, whatever you need to spend the money on, just spend it. And that's a big deal. And people in the church must have gone, oh, that's great. But that's not what Ananias and Sapphira said. Have a look with me. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Great news. 
With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. He's done exactly the same thing, except he's kept a little bit to put in his superannuation, which is a fair thing, but he's pretended that he's giving it all. He's pretended that he's giving it all. Peter, in the next verse, says, have a look at it. He says, what a huge help you've been. We couldn't have done without you, Ananias and Sapphira. Our funds are running low and you've saved the day. I'll let everyone know about your generous uh, donation and we'll put a notice in the bulletin. No, it's not what he said, is it? He said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? It's interesting. Satan has filled his heart. What's his heart meant to be full of? The Holy Spirit. Holy, the, the first couple of chapters show the Holy Spirit changing people and empowering people. But Peter says, how is it that Satan has filled your heart, that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? And then this is where it gets interesting. He says, didn't it belong to you anyway? It's yours. What are you doing, mate? It's yours. You could have done whatever you wanted with it. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to humans, but to God. Peter wasn't interested in people's money. He wasn't interested in just getting hold of people's money. He wasn't. Peter said it was yours anyway. You could have done any, you could have bought a caravan. You could have bought a yacht. You could have gone overseas for a holiday. You could have done anything with it. It's a sad day. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. What a great youth group activity. That's what it is. It's a youth group activity. They wrapped him up and buried him. Three hours later, his wife walks in. She's expecting... Oh, there's the plaque. You've put the plaque on the wall. Ananias and Sapphira, the most generous contributors of the the, uh, the decade. But it's not what happens, is it? Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and Finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these things. What did Ananias and Sapphira hope to gain? It's not clearly stated, but I suspect they hoped to gain some prestige or glory or honor, public thanks. The problem is they attempted to move the focus from Jesus to themselves. That's what I think is happening from Jesus to themselves. And that is a terribly, terrible mistake to make. And the problem is it undermines the mission of taking the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Because instead of looking at Jesus, Ananias and Sapphira, hoping people will look at them, they're not going to power the gospel ministry. They're not going to power the changing and reaching the whole world. Only Jesus is. Only Jesus is. 
Why does God judge these people in such a dramatic way? I don't know. I don't know. I actually wonder if it's the right question to right question to ask about why God judges some things and lets some things persist until the end of the world when he will judge. I don't know exactly why. All I can say is at the cross, God judged sin. The Lord Jesus carried our sin and God hates sin. We must do all we can to follow the Lord and put to death the deeds of the flesh. This is not part of the sermon. In my, in my, in my, uh, this is my prayer diary. In my prayer diary, I have two verses written. Romans 8, 13. By the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. I say that to myself each week. Each week I read those verses. Ananias and Sapphira weren't reading those verses because they hadn't been written. But they'd misunderstood the incredible importance of pursuing Jesus and putting aside our old nature. Let me encourage you to put aside the old nature. So that's what happens. That's the internal confusion. Verse 12, what's going to happen? Verse 12, what's going to happen to the church? Is the church going to come to a sliding halt? Is it going to crash into a tree? What's going to happen? The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. They don't give up. They've had a problem at church. They don't give up, though. They don't give up. The apostles are performing signs and wonders. They're still meeting in the temple. Remember how they got kicked out of the temple a chapter or so ago? They're still saying, we're going to get together in the temple and we're going to preach and be accessible and visible to the people. No one else joined them. Verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So people didn't just come and have a little look. People came and joined for good. It's awesome. As a result... People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on mats. Imagine that. There are people bringing sick people and and disabled people, people who are crunched, putting them on mats in the street, in the main street, I imagine, so that when Peter walks by, his shadow might fall on them and they'd be healed. That is outrageous. What an incredible outpouring of God's spirit. Incredible. And people are saying, we've got to get grandma on her mat, out in the street. They're actually saying it. They're saying it. And God is working an incredible miracle through this place, through this, through Peter and through the apostles. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick. So people brought them. So not only were the locals putting them in front of, in front of the, the street, so Peter's, it would work better, wouldn't it, early in the morning and later in the afternoon when the shadows are really long? Imagine how close you'd have to be at midday. You'd have to say, hang on, Peter. But that's what they're doing. 
And there are people traveling for ages to bring their, their family to Peter to be healed. The message of Jesus is spreading. It is so powerful. It is so powerful. It is wonderful. Satan's plan was to wreck the church through Ananias and Sapphira. But the church hasn't wrecked. It hasn't been a train wreck. It continues. It continues. Crowds are gathering. There's a beautiful certainty about Jesus' plan. Certainty. There's a beautiful certainty about Jesus' plan for you at Area Park, for his whole church. Jesus is not giving up. His church is where he is, where his people, where he is empowering us. He is with us. He's, he's here. He's the only reason we can make progress. And he hasn't given up on us. We reflect what Jesus is like. In my years as a teacher over the years, I've done lots of units on the moon and the sun and the stars. So as a teacher, your main weapons in this unit are a foam ball and a torch. And you say to the kids, right, foam ball, torch, torch, foam ball. Where's the light come from? Does it come from the moon itself? No, it's the staker. It's bouncing off the sun, which is the moon. And then you get the kids to all do the demo of it. And you turn out the lights, you pull down the blinds, get the room as dark as possible. And there's kids out the front giving this wonderful technical lecture about how the torch is like the sun and it reflects off the moon and you, us at the earth can see it. It's just the same. Where's the church of the moon? And we're reflecting Jesus' goodness. As Jesus' goodness shines on us, we reflect that to the world. We don't have to produce it ourselves. You don't have to produce the goodness and the power in yourself. It comes from Jesus. External pressure. So we've had internal confusion, the witnessing church, external pressure. The Jewish leaders were jealous. Have a look at verse 15, uh, 17. So all this stuff's happening. Imagine what a ruckus would be happening if in the main street of Area Park, all the sick people were put out there so that Peter could walk by and heal them. What an inc- You'd need a building program. It would be unbelievable. It was an exciting time, and the Jewish leaders were disgusted. Verse 17. Then, so in response to what's happening, the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They just wanted the attention to be on themselves. They wanted to be in power themselves. They did not want anyone else having anyone following them. They wanted all the attention themselves. Verse 18, they arrest the apostles. It seems like a chapter or so ago, they grabbed one or two, Peter and John. Now they've grabbed the whole lot, the apostles, and they put them in public jail. They've chucked them in jail thinking, tomorrow we're going to fix you. We're going to fix you tomorrow. But during the night, an angel of the Lord let them out and said, hey, you guys, go back to the temple and start teaching the people. T- start Tell the people the full message about this new life, verse 19, the full message about this new life, which I take it to mean teaching because that's what they did. Verse 21, bright and early, they've all set their alarm clocks. They begin to teach in the temple. It's interesting that the casting out of demons and the healing people leads to an audience that needs to be taught. In the end, people have to hear the good news about Jesus, not just see the results, 
see the miraculous power. They need to hear the word of the Lord Jesus. So there they are. They're in the temple. They're in the temple teaching the crowds. At the same time, in another room, there's the Sanhedrin saying, we're going to get these guys. We're going to get these guys. We're going to teach them a lesson or two. And they say, okay, they send the officers. You go down to the jail and get them, and then we're going to give them what for? They come back from the jail and say they're not there. All the locks, were, doors were locked, all the guards were still in place, but they're not there. They went, hmm, what's going on? A messenger comes in and says, these guys who we're looking for are in the temple preaching. God has organized it. And then they say, okay, we'll go and get them. When they go to get them, they're so scared of the people. The officers are so scared that the people will, will stone them that they have to say to the apostles, oh, would you please consider coming with us? Would you please consider coming with us? There's no way they were going to get hard, hard and, and heavy with them because the people loved them. The people had seen them preaching, healing, casting out demons. These people were the answer to the local problems even though the, the Jewish leaders were jealous. So they finally get them in there. How frustrating it must have been. How frustrating. There they are. They've got them. And they say, right, we're going to, they finally get them into the Sanhedrin. And they say, we're going to rouse on you. Verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. They can't even bring themselves to say Jesus' name. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. We told you to be quiet and now you're making a heap of noise. They're so cranky, so cranky. Jerusalem is now full of his teaching because of you. <sighs> we told you to shush up and now you're blaming us for this man's blood, which of course they're completely guilty of. Verse 29. Oh, let me just say one, I missed a point. Direct speech is interesting in texts. Do you know what I mean by direct speech? Where it actually says exactly what the person said. This is what, what the high priest said. He said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. That's their position. We're upset. We told you to shush up, yet you have taken no notice of us. Verse 29, Peter's direct speech. And you know you've lost an argument with someone when they, when they give this defense. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must have made God rather than human beings. You know it's all over when that happens because they're not going to move. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that we, he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Wow. Wow. Jesus, who you killed, is Prince and Saviour. Prince and Saviour. Prince and Saviour in heaven. The Jewish leaders spit out their dummies. They lose their tempers. They are white hot. White hot. They're not just a bit like... Oh, someone's backed into my car. They are, they want to kill someone. They actually want to kill them. Have a look where it says, where, what it says. It says, um, when they heard this, verse 32, 
Verse 33, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. They wanted to kill them. They were, they were white hot. They were furious. It would have been just what they did to Jesus, wouldn't it? This is the most fascinating. This Gamaliel is a fascinating man. He's a, he's a professor, a Queen's Council, an academic, a politician, a, a religious lawyer, a teacher. He says, hang on a sec, hang on a sec, guys. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Just before we kill him, so we're going to kill him, but just before we kill him, let's think about this. And he cites two examples. He basically says, if this is human, it'll fail. If this is God, we're going to be in trouble because we'll find ourselves fighting against God. He says, remember a bloke called Thudius, Thudus. He got 400 guys together, but when he got killed, whole thing petered out. Bloke called Judas from Galilee. He started a revolt. He got killed. Whole thing petered out. Basically, Gamaliel said, if this is just human, it'll peter out. Everyone will forget about Jesus. It won't go anywhere. But he said, if it's not, we're going to be ending up fighting against God. So the Sanhedrin compromised. They said, okay, okay. We'll just see how it goes. We'll beat the stuffing out of them so they can hardly walk, flog them, and tell them to be quiet. So that's what they did. Sounds like another opportunity for a car wreck for the church. The church is just going to come to a grinding halt and stop. But it's not what happens. Have a look at the next few verses. Have a look at the next few verses. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, here we go back to it, and every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. So they've been told to shush up, they've been beaten up, and they go, We're going to follow God, not you. And they go back to it publicly and in houses. They go back to it. They go back to it. They have such passion and determination. Passion and determination. The other day I was on duty at school at lunchtime, and the normal deal is the kids come out, get their hat, get their lunchbox, sit down in the shade and eat their dinner. The first few kids I didn't catch, they didn't get their hat, they ran out of the door and they tore off. I couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen that sort of determination ever. They don't show it in PE when you say, okay, everyone run up and get the ball. They go, they just hit the corner. And it wasn't just one of them. There's two, three, four. I was in kindergarten that day. And the kindies don't always run. And I thought, what is going on? I have to go get them. And because you're responsible for the kids, you've got to know where they are. And then I realized, canteen, canteen. They're determined to get down there and get those little mini pies, spit of sauce, lollies, chocolate milks. They're determined. Icy poles on a stick. They're determined. The determination is unbelievable in a kindergarten kid when you say canteen. I didn't say it. They'd been sitting there all day thinking canteen, 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 canteen. That's what Peter and, Peter and the apostles do. They get out of being bashed up and they go straight to and in the temple and from house to house, they didn't cease preaching and teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. It's that determination that's fascinating. And what powers them? If you've got your acts open still, 
I'll point out just a couple of verses. Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus speaking, he says, but you will receive power when power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Where does the power come from? Jesus. Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 12. There's only a couple of these. I won't make you work too hard. When Peter's, they've just healed the, the, the crippled beggar. And the people are sort of making a bit of a fuss. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. It's Jesus' power. He says, You don't look at me. It's not our power. It's Jesus' power. Where does the power come from? From Jesus. The apostles had an incredibly strong conviction. They were going to spend their lives on this mission, their lives on this mission. Can the church, can the devil destroy the church? I think it's a fair question. The devil does have a serious go at the church. The devil hates you. I'm sorry to say, but the devil hates you. And the more you love the Lord Jesus, the more he hates you. But the big message is that Jesus the church is Jesus' church. We are Jesus' church. We are Jesus' body. We're Jesus' family. Jesus committed to us, loves us, and is enabling us to serve him. When I was younger, I used to play with my cousins in the pool on Boxing Day. Every Boxing Day was at Cousins' place, uh, Bryce and Derek's. And we'd have a footy or a rugby ball or a soccer ball, and we'd play, be playing pool rugby which we thought was great fun. And the thing is, when someone's trying to get the ball off you, you stick it between your legs and you float on it and you fight them off. But eventually the ball pops out and it comes out. You can't keep it down. You can't keep it down. It just won't stay down. The church is like that. Because Jesus, because of Jesus, the church is buoyant. The church will not be crushed. The church will not be finished. The church is buoyant like that ball in the pool. It's going to rise. It's going to bounce back. It's going to bounce back. Well, let me conclude. Let me take two or three minutes just to draw things together. Spiritual confusion can grow out of misunderstandings, strong preferences, competing ideas, investing energy in our lives in things that aren't eternal. As God's people, let me put it to you that we need to invest in Jesus' plan, in Jesus' plan for the world, the church and his reach in the world. That's the best place to invest. External attacks are unpleasant. So internal spiritual confusion can upset us, and external attacks can upset us as well. But they do remind us that no matter what, we're Jesus' church and Jesus loves us, and they actually pull us together in a way. It's interesting that the more we're attacked from the outside, the stronger we've become together. Jesus rose from the dead. He rose to heaven. He gave power to the the apostles. He's given power through the Holy Spirit to us. God dwells in us. God powers us, sustains us. And like those kids at the canteen, we can charge. We can charge ahead knowing that we have Jesus' power. And we can also know that we will float. We won't be stopped. We won't be crushed. We will float. Let me pray. 
Lord, I thank you so much for that you bring us into your family. It's a great place to be. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be forgiven, to know you as our father and our, our brother, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, as we look to, to life together, that you will give us a complete determination to follow you and a conviction that you are with us and that you power us. Please, Lord, give us power through your Holy Spirit. Give us conviction through your word. Amen.